what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. I figured there's never anything good about a tragedy, but something good doesn't come out of a tragedy and evolve. The loss is certainly for not. And it was important to me not only to carry on her memory and memorialize some of the things that were important to her, but as I started doing it, it established an opportunity as an additional way for me to stay connected to not only the things that were important to her, but as I started finding out to her herself. It took every bit of energy. I was like, I have to jog this. I have to run this up this hill with Mia. I got the sign and I did it. I ran up there and um, I was emotional. I didn't think I was going to become emotional and I was. And that's what some of some of the families said is that it, it's like you'll get emotional. But to get over that finish line at the top of Pikes Peak with those families there, knowing what you did to support others was phenomenal and it was emotional and uh, and it was a relief. <laughs> we had this saying, I would say, dig deep, Mia, you can do it. And as she got older and I started having some physical troubles and especially my catastrophic injury to my leg, she was constantly there by my side, but she would say, dig deep, Dad, you can do it. She was an angel sent to me from heaven for the 20 years I had her and this is the least I could do to, to carry on her memory. And I know she is smiling down and I feel her every step of the way along this journey. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the uh, Keep Kids Alive podcast. I believe this is our 30th episode and we're going to be visiting with Shane Taylor and Connie Garrow here in just a moment. But as I welcome you, uh, I'd like to remind you that Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, we're a nonprofit that works on traffic safety education in uh, communities all over the country. We're getting ready to celebrate our 25th year, and we've worked with over 1,700 communities representing 49 states and Washington, D.C., and as far away as Australia. And our mission is simply to help make streets safer for all who walk, cycle, play, drive, and ride. And so that's all of us and our concerns about what happens on and along all roadways of all kinds. It's been a privilege along the way to meet so many wonderful people that have become part of our story and our mission and who have a story to share themselves about how they became connected with our mission. And that's why uh, Shane and uh, Connie are with us here today to share their story. You know, first of all, just like to welcome Shane and Connie and, you know, invite you to share from your own experience here, just how you became connected with our mission of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. Well, I'll start with uh, basically around five years ago when I started uh, running pretty regularly, uh, met some amazing people and runners, including Christy Nielsen. I wasn't on Facebook prior to that. And then, of course, when I got on social media a little bit more, I heard her story about her nephew, Tristan. And then this race, the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, I, I believe it was around 2018, I joined the race 5K, which to me was like, 
you know, a difficult race at that time. And it was at Scott High School and it was amazing. I thought the energy of the families that were there, the participants, the way it was organized. Oh my gosh, all the goodie bags. Uh, everything there to me was really, really a neat event and a neat cause. And then running down that path for the first time to see all those people that had died, family, friends, relatives, and seeing those signs along the whole path of that 5K route was heartbreaking, heartwarming. I thought it was just a really neat, amazing experience for that event to be organized in that way. I, had, I hadn't seen anything like that before at that time. And then since then, I got involved a few more times, including uh, one of the virtual events of 2020. And again, some of my running friends now that I had become a part of a team with, they joined in as well. And even my fr- my family, you know, they walked or ran or did the virtual on their own. And then I came to be, you know, with the, I mean, we can go on, but with Pike's Peak and, and with the other runs and knowing Shane, I did introduce him just this year because I, I thought, oh, for sure he would have known about this and he did not. And I thought it was a perfect event for him to get involved with, you know, in memory of his daughter. So I invited Shane to our summer, to the summer event that you held at Scott High School this year. And that's how we got together at that point. So, Well, thank you. And for our listeners, our 5K event here in Omaha, uh, we call it the Live Forward 5K. And Live Forward is always focused on uh, the good that can be brought into the world in honor of loved ones who've died in traffic incidents. Shane, you might want to pick that up here in terms of Connie putting together a team and, uh, you know, who did she put the team together for and tell her story. When Connie reached out to me, I was uh, actually very surprised that anything like this had existed. I mean, I've lived in Omaha. Connie and I have been connected for over 30 years. My daughter went to Scott along with Connie's children, and I had no idea about the event, much less Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. When she brought that to my attention. I was certainly excited to learn about it. I wanted to learn more. I had an opportunity to meet you, Tom, well in advance. Connie and I discussed the team and she had informed me that they would like to put a team together on behalf of my daughter, uh, Mia Taylor, who tragically passed in November of 2020. I was quite touched and certainly honored. And at that point in time, I tried to learn as much as I could about Keep Kids Alive, Drive 25, and and your organization. I was very moved, and uh, I, I thought it would be the perfect setting to honor Mia locally, in addition to some of the things that I have been doing. I was actually quite excited to meet some of the other parents that are on this uh, horrible journey of having lost children. And that's kind of my initial exposure to it. It's It's only gained momentum since being part of the the initial race and meeting with you and with Connie and all the members of Connie's team that were just wonderful to uh, to be around and their support and kindness that they've extended as well as everyone else uh, related to the the foundation. Well, I want to invite you to talk more about Mia, but before we do that, if you could share with our listeners about how you and Connie came to know each other in the first place. Through our professional careers, 
probably some 30 years ago. We were both involved in law enforcement. That's where we first met. I guess we became friends a long time ago. And like most long-term friendships, there's ups and downs and changes in families. And unfortunately, people pass away and family members and friends. And we've had a lot of common interests through, through fitness and other mutual friends. But when she had reached out to tell me about this event, and the 5K, I was probably more touched by that than, than anything uh, that has really occurred since my daughter's tragedy. Not to diminish other people's extension of love and support, but it's sometimes the, the things that you don't expect and from the people that, not that I wouldn't expect it from, from Connie, but to, to assemble a team to run a 5K and my daughter's behalf was very touching to me. It's ironic because... Through our careers, you know, we had two separate careers, but we had to work different cases and things like that together. And then we happened to be uh, at the same gym and that was a healthier way, healthier outlet that definitely helped us in our careers as well. And then trying to get into a better fitness level. And then lo and behold, the 5k run comes about and I know for me, at least I was in a, an appropriate fitness level to try to run that. So it, it, I mean, everything kind of worked together and I didn't know at the time, but Shane's daughter, when uh, the accident occurred and stuff, my son and his girlfriend were also friends with her. And I didn't know that at the time, Every, everything just came together to where we bonded even more, I guess I should say. It's nice to do something for strangers. It makes you feel good. It, I guess everybody knowing that you can try to help out, but then it goes a little bit deeper when it touches your own family, your own kids, of course, and knowing that you can be a role model with such a, a close connection like that. I think that really helps a lot. And and I know Shane had mentioned the team that we put together for this year. I wish all of them could be in this room right now because every one of them who had not done it before was just, this was the neatest thing. I wish I could do it again. I want to be there next time. And if you could hear every one of their comments, I know they felt the same energy I did when I was there for the first time. And that was the neatest thing is to see all that, to see all the support that Shane received as well and the connections he made. I just can't explain it um, without using my thesaurus and everything else. But um, <laughs> to me, it was, it was just an amazing event overall and a really, really neat time for everyone. It made it even more meaningful that they could represent me in this race due to, I suffered a catastrophic leg injury. So, you know, when I first heard about this race, it was somewhat, somewhat hurtful, the fact that, that I couldn't represent Mia on my own, but that pain was soon replaced by the fact that I knew that somebody that I, that I cared about and that was a good friend and that equally cared about Mia and myself that was willing to do this and represent not only her, but, but me as well, was very moving. I know I've thanked Connie numerous times, as well as you, Tom, but this is my official mm -hmm. extension of gratitude and my appreciation for 
not only that, but she also went on to represent her in Pikes Peak. One of the most moving and touching things I've seen was when I saw the photos of Connie carrying a large picture of Mia across the finish line in Pikes Peak and understanding how difficult of a, uh, of a race that is to be able to maintain the ability to, to cross the finish line, let alone do so holding up a large photo or it was just awesome to see. Well, I, I, I look forward to you being able to be there in person next year. I don't know what it will be like, but <laughs> I think it will be extra special. What a way to commemorate 25 years. Well, we've, you know, we've been talking about Mia in, uh, in a way, but I'd like to, you know, our listeners to learn something about Mia and, you know, who she was and who she still is in terms of the way that her life impacts other people. And, and I always like to start with, you know, what was Mia's spark or what uh, emanated from her that, you know, gave life not only to her, but to other people? You know, we, we had a, a very special relationship. Uh, it, it was just me and myself, uh, her dad, for, I was, a, I was a single father from the time she was three months old. You know, so na- naturally when it's just the two of you, you have a special relationship or, or at least hope to. And I was very blessed with the fact that, that we, we did. I would say her spark was, was her smile and her laughter and her overall selflessness. I mean, she, in the 20 years we were together, we never had one argument, which I'm, I'm very happy about now, especially now. And uh, I look back and, you know, we just uh, treated each other with love and respect. And the things that were important to me became important to her and the exposure to helping others and especially those in need were characteristics that she just really embraced. And uh, we looked after the elderly in our, in our immediate community where we live. You know, many of them didn't have family members, so we would make sure to make them feel welcome uh, during the holiday seasons. We would uh, donate books to uh, children who didn't have books in their homes. Mia was uh, 15. She started volunteering at the Monroe Meyer Institute with children with cognitive disabilities, and she was supposed to be a uh, 40-hour volunteer. Five years later, she was still with them. She was still volunteering at the the time of her tragedy. And um, she wanted to pursue a career in medicine that involved children. She had thought about being a pediatrician. And then during her internships and volunteering with the hospitals, she thought she might emphasize with uh, pediatric oncology. So her life was really about helping those in need and helping others and um I couldn't have been more proud of who she was and the aspirations that she had. And uh, the other thing she was really fond of was was animals and uh, the environment. She started at a young age helping my father in the garden and planting flowers and vegetables and trees. And those were things that just carried on with her throughout her life. Well, I know you set up a foundation in Mia's honor and memory and... Uh... Can you talk a little bit about that? Because for me, it's something that literally grew out, you know, of her passions. Uh, you know, I, I figured there's never anything good about a tragedy, but if something good doesn't come out of a tragedy and evolve 
the the loss is certainly for naught. And it was important to me not only to carry on her memory and memorialize some of the things that were important to her, but as I started doing it, it established an opportunity as a additional way for me to stay connected to not only the things that were important to her, but as I started finding out to her herself and I started receiving an abundance of signs, uh, some very profound signs that became my driving strength. Can you give an example of, of a sign that came along that really affirmed your direction? Oh, geez, there's, there, there's so many. One of the first ones was, uh, we were on a video in a, uh, an orb of light. Actually, I thought I was having a heart attack and as we're on this, this video, an orb of light, others have witnessed descending uh, the room down into me kind of took over and the feelings that I was having diminished. And right about the time they diminished, people started contacting me via text and they were calling me and my phone was on vibrate. I couldn't answer my phone. So, but the feeling that I had of this, uh, what I thought was a, a heart attack had, had immediately gone away and I didn't understand. Actually, I thought maybe that was the after effects. It, it had just it had gone away and I had actually had the heart attack. When I started checking my messages, people said I wasn't going to believe what, what they had seen. Well, nobody surrounding me had seen this, this orb of light light in person. And it seemed to be available on the, on the video that was telecast. And as we went back and and reviewed the video, we, we blew it up. And as the, the orb of light light started descending, it took an angelic, I guess, figure. And a couple of days later, I went to the doctor to be, to have a physical and they said, they cleared me from having a heart attack. So that was one of the first. Where were you when that happened? I was actually in the, the church, one of her services. That was one of the, the very first signs. Another a ceiling fan and a light fixture above her bed had not worked for 11 months prior to her uh, tragedy. And I had had an electrician come out, but it was the midst of COVID and he had ran numerous tests and he just said, he said it was fried. It must've been an electrical surge or the ceiling fan had wore out. So it had, it had been completely dead and uh, I'd purchased a new ceiling fan and it took several months for the uh, electrician to return. And we we're in the, in the midst of that at the time of Mia's tragedy, it still hadn't been replaced. As I had walked up the stairs, not even knowing that there's tragedy occurred, I'd seen the light in Mia's bedroom uh, had turned on. And there was about a f five to 10 minute window from the time that I had was last there that it wasn't on to the time that it was. And it was during that time that I later learned was the official time that Mia had, had passed. And I had no way to even turn it off. It, it remained on for the next four months. And it was Earth Day, the day that we were planting trees in Mia's memory in April of 2021. And that morning I heard a noise out in the hallway. So I, I went out into the hallway and the light was still illuminated in her room. But that morning the fan also started going on Earth Day. And for the next eight months, both the light and the fan remained on until Christmas morning and on Christmas morning, they both shut off. So those are some of the, probably the very first and most profound signs, been numerous others probably need a whole new podcast and to cover those. And, uh, but I, I've actually documented them all. And 
there's people that have different schools of thought on that, but many of the ones that I have and, and the ones that I, especially that I document, I have witnesses. So some people say they never receive signs. You know, I've received an abundance of them. And I, I truly believe that Mia knows that I need them. That's, that's what I, that I attribute the, the fact that I've received so many. Well, I know we've, we've had these conversations in the past and just visiting over lunch. And I know you have a project that you'd like to embark on from a, writing a book about experiences like this. And I know that so many of the families that we've encountered that have connected with our mission because of the death of a loved one, you know, have shared stories with me about how they encounter their loved ones uh, after they've died. And, you know, they all have very specific and special stories about how that happens. And I want to get to that in a second, but okay. I, I had a thought while you were talking because you said you thought you had a heart attack and it, it made me think about heart attacks in a different way. In fact, maybe your heart was being attacked in a way that was inspirational and that would move not only you, but, uh, you know, eventually other people in ways that we may not have been able to imagine prior to that moment of, of you having that experience. And, you know, maybe it kind of gives us a window into uh, oftentimes we think of heart attacks as being just a, a tragic experience that, uh, you know, maybe our hearts are being attacked in a different sort of way. At times that are like, wake up and that's very and, true. And, yeah. you know, pain, pain and grief do tremendous things to our bodies uh, that, that we never could imagine that, that would occur. So, you know, uh, to your point, I, I think that's, that's probably right. And sometimes we find internal mechanism mechanisms to try and fix those. And in my case, I think it was a, uh, it was a heavenly resolve that helped me. Well, I'd like to ask you specifically about Mia's foundation, what the name of it is and, you know, what the purpose of it is. You've alluded to, you know, her love of nature and the environment and ecology. And the name of her foundation is the Mia Taylor Foundation.org. It's www.themiataylorfoundation.org. And Mia spelled M-I-A for our listeners. That's, that's correct. All spelled out. And that also evolved out of Mia's passions. Um, initially, we looked to set up a scholarship where she was attending a College of St. Mary. They had informed me that they didn't have any scholarships related to environmental sustainability. And Mia was minored in environmental sustainability. So, you know, the College of St. Mary is, their curriculum kind of follows that at this point in time. So they, they asked if we'd be willing to set up a scholarship in her name related to environmental sustainability. And I, I didn't have any problems with that whatsoever. And I met with the professors in the Environmental Sustainability College. And the things they told me about Mia were just not overall surprising, but they were things that I didn't know. I knew Mia had become the president of the green team as a freshman. And they told me that no students uh, had ever become president other than students that were seniors. Uh, Mia was uh, personally selected to go on a uh, trip with the professor and his family and one other student to, to NASA for a study program. So they, they just had nothing but positive things to say about Mia, which really made it an easy decision to pursue the scholarship in that uh, area. Yeah, so the, the Mia Taylor Foundation really was uh, set up to help develop scholarships related to environmental sustainability not only at the College of St. Mary, but above and beyond and uh, other colleges and universities and with the hopes of um, helping spread the word and 
local elementary schools and junior highs and high schools. And that was something that Mia wanted to do with her previous high schools that she wanted to go back in and uh, do some uh, furthering education with students. So that, that was something that we also wanted to set up. And in the last year, as it has evolved and we did establish the, the scholarship, the university has asked that if I was willing to have the, uh, the foundation work with local and statewide businesses to help further the sustainability information, they want to expand. Right now they have a minor program, but they want to do advanced education with master's or PhD programs. And they would like to gain support with local and statewide businesses throughout Nebraska with the hopes that these businesses would not only support the universities having these advanced educational programs, but also be willing to hire these students so the students don't leave the state. And, you know, I couldn't think of a better, I guess, a a better segue from doing the scholarships to doing something above and beyond that would be beneficial not only for the students obtaining the education, but, you know, the overall environment and helping local and statewide businesses adapt to these programs. It's really become just a, a, a popular topic in this this political arena right now. And So our listeners out there, uh, if they'd like to donate to uh, Mia's scholarship fund or to the foundation uh, itself, I'm guessing that they can do that on your site? They can. Okay, yes. so the Mia, Mia Taylor, and it's Mia, M-I-A, and then Taylor is T-A-Y-L-O-R. So the Mia Taylor Foundation, uh, dot org. Yeah. So if you're out there and you'd like to get involved in this effort, please visit Mia's website and, you know, make your donation. Can they email you off the uh, website as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you can email Shane and, you know, if you've got ideas that you'd like to explore about partnerships, it's a way that can not only sustain the work of the foundation, but, you know, really keeps Mia's spark and spirit alive, not just today, but for generations to come, really, when you think about the impact that all of this can have. You know, thank you for taking Mia to heart in the first place and being her dad and, you know, knowing what she truly treasured and carrying that forward. She was an angel sent to me from heaven for the 20 years I had her. And this is the least I could do, you know, to, to carry on her memory. And I know she is smiling down and I feel her every step of the way along this journey. And I might add that in addition to the Mia Taylor Foundation, one of the other things that evolved is another nonprofit called the um, Journey Beyond the Clouds. That had, was something that had been in the works. However, when I went to the uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 5K at Scott, I started meeting some of the other parents who had lost children and family members. And several had informed me, just as the many that I had encountered since Mia's tragedy, that there were not many uh, grief groups that have been established solely for parents and grandparents who have lost children and grandchildren. The reason I say that is uh, I've added grandparents because there's so many grandparents that are raising their grandchildren or have a uh, key role in in their upbringing in this day and age. So I'd been in the works of setting, establishing a grief group and uh, that just further drove it home being a part of the, the, the 5k over at Scott talking to these additional families and, I decided that I was just going to go ahead and try and set up a grief group as well. And we 
announced that on Mia's birthday, September 16th, that that was official and we will hold the uh, first grief group and, and grief support group in October this year. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing you can get information about that off of Mia's website as well, or is that a separate website? Or It is a separate website. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm still honing my website design skills that took me quite some time to, uh, to do Mia's uh, foundation website. But um, I wanted to, to get the group up and going and I didn't want to wait until the website was completed. Okay. I anticipate having that, that completed in the next couple of months, but but I can, I can be reached personally and via email, which you can obtain those off the other uh, website. I want to shift a little bit because uh, we've alluded to the Pikes Peak event that we've been doing for uh, 15 years with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And we call uh, our team uh, the Live Forward Runners. And uh, our Live Forward Runners run in honor of loved ones who died in traffic incidents. And, you know, we've had uh, such an array of runners and families that have joined us in Colorado Springs over the last uh, 15 years. Connie joined us for the first time this year in running in honor of Mia, along with her friend uh, Kent, who ran for Mia as well. And so I want to invite you to just share about that experience that you had just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, Pikes Peak uh, Live Forward has been a goal of mine to participate in. And I think a couple years ago, I even spoke to you, but I saw that there was some uh, criteria you had to have um, running certain marathons and things like that. And at the time, I don't think I was qualified enough to run Pikes Peak. So this year, a perfect opportunity, again, running for Mia, the September date was was a good date. And um, my experience is is kind of funny because I, I I see all these pictures of people on vacation in Colorado um, throughout the whole summer. Every year they talk about going to Colorado. I went to Colorado, oh gosh, probably 15, 20 years ago. Twice I was there. Once was for an event that I never even stepped foot outside to even walk anywhere. And then the other time I was there was when my kids were very young. Again, we didn't really do any hiking or anything, but it was kind of a bad experience um, when my son was little because they had this these little kids event things with a pop bottle rocket, whatever that they did. And one of the experiments that they did was with a like a two liter Coke bottle, plastic bottle, and you pull this pin and the bottle goes up in the air because of the carbon dioxide or something that's released. And um, when he pulled his pin, which is was about as big as a knitting needle, it went straight into his leg. And my kids never wanted to go back to Colorado since then. So I really had didn't have much of a desire until wanting to do Pike's Peak and hearing again about it through the Live Forward with when Christy Nielsen had gone and to represent uh, Tristan. So this year when I went, again, had no clue what altitude was going to do. I never set foot on a trail in Colorado, had no idea how I was going to feel. So we got to Colorado about mm, 20 hours before the event started. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be fine (laughs) with the altitude. But I knew to kind of take it slow. So when we started 
our run, I, I was very conservative and uh, it's a half marathon straight up Pikes Peak. And I am afraid of heights. Um, didn't know how I was going to react. And uh, it, it was it was pretty good. Um, pretty much the first 10 miles. And again, I was pretty conservative and it took me right around three hours. And I, and I studied, you know, when Christy was there and my friend Miguel, and I always look at other people, other participants, um, times and all that. And I was like, Oh, I think I'm, I have pretty good time. I only have three miles left. And so about a half a mile later, Oh, I felt like, uh, like I had zero energy, zero blood in me. I felt like I had was totally wiped out. And I was actually laughing to myself because it took every ounce of energy to even put one foot in front of the other. And I remembered what you said, Tom, is when I asked you before how people get up there and you said, well, you just put one foot in front of the other. So I had to remember that. I had to focus every step of the way for those three miles is, okay, Connie, just put one foot in front of the other. And not only did I focus on that, but I also knew that if you showed signs of altitude sickness, the rangers that were there every couple mile or less, maybe every mile or so to watch out for anybody with this altitude sickness, you know, that maybe potentially could, you know, fall or, or, you know, faint or something. So I focused on one foot in front of the other, but I also <laughs> in my head was memorizing my name, my date of birth, what day it was. <laughs> and I was like, just in case they asked me, I was, I was not going to be turned away because I had gotten that far. So to go 10 miles, it took me three hours to go three miles. It took me two hours and about 55 minutes or so to go the three miles. But what was really cool is as I got towards the top, it was your daughter and um, your grandchild. And they were holding me a sign for me to, to pick up. And were, I heard them really encouraging me to keep going, keep going. It took every bit of energy for me to I, I was like, I have to jog this. I have to run this up this hill with Mia. And so I, I got the sign and I did it. I ran up there and um, I was emotional. I didn't think I was going to become emotional and I was. And that's what some of some of the family said is that it, it's like, you'll get emotional. I'm like, you know, I didn't think I was going to. And but to get over that finish line at the top of Pikes Peak with those families there, knowing what you did to support others was phenomenal and it was emotional and, uh, and it was a relief <laughs> to be, to be done too. But um, no, it was a really, really neat event. And um, again, I don't know how to really explain further without somebody experiencing it that for themselves. So it, it was the least, you know, the absolute least, you know, one can do, but it was such a neat event. And to hear the stories of the other families, to bond with the other families, to be there in support, to know that, that you were there on that day for the memory of others and, and knowing that, you know, when you, when you come back 
to Omaha or, or, you know, to meet up with your friends and they ask you about the experience, you want to spread that. And you definitely want to, you want everybody to share in that experience. So yeah, it was, it was pretty neat. I definitely shared in that experience from afar. I wish I could have been there when I saw those first pictures and video clips. It's, uh, I can only imagine what it feels like to be the one who's actually crossing the finish line, but to see you wearing Mia's shirt with her name on it and carrying the photo and wearing her socks and her wristband, the things that come to my mind was watching Mia score the game-winning goal in the soccer tournament, one of the last soccer tournaments she played in for her team to win or Nebraska winning the national championship or your, your favorite sports team winning the Super Bowl or you know, the World Series. It's just when you lose somebody, especially a child, you have a hole in your heart that will never, ever heal. But it's it's things like that that, that help bring some, some comfort and joy to you and helps heal that hole just a little bit. I can't thank you enough for, for what you did and for Tom for putting this on because being connected to this and, you know, all the way back being involved with the first 5K to seeing Connie cross the finish line and then hearing about it again today. It's just, it's a medicine like no other. Well, I have to say, uh, I, I certainly can identify with what Connie was sharing. Uh, and, you know, just to let our listeners know, our, our Live Forward team, we participate in the Pikes Peak Ascent and Marathon trail races. Those are certified trail races that would happen whether we're there or not and all. But we started a team that uh, just was composed of my uh, my brother, Mike, who lives out in Colorado Springs, and my oldest son, uh, Matthew, back in 2007. Uh, we ran for the first time in honor of loved ones. And uh, it just turned into something that we never could have imagined. We're 15 years into this now and getting ready for year 16. You know, when Connie mentioned the emotion at the finish, it's it's something that honestly, you just do not have control over. Because, you know, I finished up my run shortly after uh, Connie finished. And, you know, I just broke down crying at the finish line. And I didn't you know, I wasn't anticipating it was going to happen, but it's just, I had to stand there and just do it <laughs> and all because there's just so much that I think is inside of every one of our runners, uh, because every one of them bears the names of loved ones from a family somewhere who has had a loved one die in a traffic incident. And, uh, you know, in my case, I was running for a family from North Dakota who had four members of their family die in the same crash. And, uh, they were there to welcome me at the summit and, it just bonds you in a way that you you really couldn't. Well, you, there's no way to put it into words. I mean, it's just simply being being there and being present and uh, knowing that there was something special about this day that goes way beyond the word special. There's one other thing that I that I recall, and it was the first conversation I had with Connie uh, afterwards, and it also go feeds into you know, my my theory of the signs. So when Mia was young. Things would get difficult at school or playing sports. We had this saying that well, was my saying that I would say, dig deep, Mia, you can do it. And as she got older and I started having some physical troubles and especially my catastrophic injury to my leg, she was constantly there by my side, but she would say, dig deep, dad, you can do it. So I had these wristbands made, a daily reminder because I never take them off, but 
they say Mia Taylor, but they say dig deep for Mia. And it's, it's something that I share these wristbands with other people. You know, it's something every morning I look at it and I remind myself that I have to dig deep to get through the day, whatever it may be. So when I share these wristbands with others, I kind of tell them what the dig deep, the philosophy behind it was. And, and uh, Connie had told me that on her final stretch, I guess it would be more appropriate for her to tell the story. But she said she heard somebody, you know, in the midst of all your adrenaline going, most of the time you probably don't even hear people talking to you or yelling at you. But she had told me that somebody was yelling to her, dig deep. Yep. It was just, it was at three miles and it was probably close to about a mile before the finish when about 300 people passed me up (laughs) and, uh, and I was like, how am I even going to make this? And I did, I don't know who said it, but it was a male voice and they were, they did, they said, dig deep. You've got to dig deep. And that was, yeah, it was about a mile to the finish. I I don't want to say I'm the best runner, but I did run Boston. I did run New York. I, I was running a 141 half uh, a couple times prior to this. And so this was an amazing adventure, I guess I can call that. It was very hard, but I honestly, it was something that is so challenging and was difficult is meant to be because you have to face those challenges in order to to succeed and to have hope, right? You have to in order to keep going for others too. Sometimes, you know, there's no way I know how he's going to feel Shane and, and other people who have a, um, you know, a loss of a, of a child. And so to me to feel a little bit of suffering and pain is a good thing. So, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. Well, I'll own, I felt that way ever since 2007. You know, no matter how I felt on that mountain, you know, it was nothing in comparison to, you know, the experience that Shane and you and so many other families uh, experience each day. And it's like, well, you know, I can put that foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and and make it up. It's a, I mean, it's a big opportunity, but it's a small sacrifice in yes. terms of being able to to do that. And I always remind myself too that. For those of you who don't know, Pikes Peak is a 14,115-foot-high mountain in Colorado and looks over Colorado Springs. I grew up in Colorado Springs, so we always said we were in the shadow of the peak, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and you indeed were all the time mm-hmm. because you can't miss that mountain. You know, but, uh, you know, regardless of how any of us runners have ever done on Pikes Peak, the mountain always wins. Mm-hmm. The mountain's always going to be there, <laughs> you know, long after we are. And so, you know, just the experience of being able to meet that challenge and, you know, be part of that, you know, and not only with our team, but with all those people who share the mountain with us. Because uh, I know I've met a couple people over the years that have joined our team because we had a conversation mm-hmm. on the way up the mountain. So do I like to be part of this too. And so, you know, our Keep Kids Alive, Live Forward family just continues to expand because of those encounters. I can add one sure. more thing that, and I don't know if you know this, Shane, but well, Shane and I both knew one of our mutual friend law enforcement officers that had died um, shortly before that, but he was paralyzed, uh, basically a suspect hit his car and, and it paralyzed him from the waist down. And 
throughout the years he had uh, gotten an exoskeleton and to walk again and stuff. But about two years before that, I had made a medal for him because he started taking steps in his exoskeleton. And that medal was a purple ribbon with hope. And I had also carried that with me up that mountain. And he definitely, one of his hopes and dreams was to inspire others to have faith, to have hope, and to keep moving. And if you have the God-given talent to take steps in any different way to do so, and especially if you can do it for others that cannot. And for me, knowing that he did help those of us you know, that represented those that died in traffic accidents and helping Mia and her family up that mountain was really special too. So, and and again, Shane knew him as well. And uh, that was another connection. So I think both, both of them are are proud, you know, (laughs) with what occurred on Pike's Peak and, to just really try to inspire others to to help out in any way possible. Well, perhaps uh, we'll have to get his family to to come out to Pikes Peak, and they would definitely do yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, kind of wrapping up, uh, you know, our time together with this podcast. Uh, you know, is there anything that you're thinking about right now that you say, "Well, I wouldn't want to end this conversation without having said this." Well, it's, it's, it's something that continues to evolve and is for, is ever occurring for me. But I mean, the two people in this room are a testament to that as well as so many other people. And that's help and support and love and kindness and friendships for people that are going through this journey as well as so many others, but often come from the people you least expect it from. And we all have those that we that we can lean on, that we we know that we, or we think that we can lean on and we expect it from, but it, it's sometimes even more meaningful. And the relationship you, you, you create with some of these other people, it's tremendously touching and forever life-changing. The friendships that evolve in it or even strengthening some of the friendships that you, that you did have because you didn't know the people that you were connected to were willing to do some of the things that they were. It restores, uh, you know, faith in humanity. That's not everything or everyone in this world is full of negativity, and there are people that do want to help you. And so I'm forever grateful, and you know, I, I myself try to pay those kind acts forward in helping others in ways that I can. Well, thank you, Shane. You took the words out of my mouth. No, okay. <laughs> no but I, I do. Yeah, I think life is too short, and I know that's a big cliche, but I definitely think, you know, if you keep putting things off, you're only hurting yourself and and hurting your family and friends. But I, I just think by just doing something that might be a little uncomfortable or out of your comfort zone, like Pike's Peak, it doesn't have to just be Pike's Peak, but even that 5k, whether you walk it, run it, jog it, uh, hike, whatever you do, doing something out of your comfort zone to experience a little bit of um, uneasiness, a little bit of suffering is the least we can do to try to help others. And, you know, even if you're a little scared, even if you're 
unsure. Uh, it's it's trying, and it's meeting other people, bonding with your failures, with your successes, and that's kind of what ties us together, and then helps us out in the future because you you don't know when you're going to need help from somebody else. Yeah, I'd like to pick up on that just a second because. You know, oftentimes it's that unease or dis-ease that we feel in life that really becomes an invitation to grow, you know, to act maybe in ways that at first we're always going to be uncomfortable with. And when I think about, you know, the mission of Keep Kids Alive, Drive 25, and all the behaviors that go into to driving or riding a bike or just being a pedestrian mm-hmm. or being a kid out playing, that uh, that we need to practice those, those uh, skills that help to keep our, ourselves and others as safe as we possibly can. You know, whether that's observing a speed limit and maybe we're not a person who likes to observe a speed limit, you know, but just paying attention to that, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others, you know, stopping at stop signs, putting our cell phones down, whatever the behavior might be. It may be as something as simply as, as buckling up, you know, when we get in the car I know here in Nebraska that the statistics show us that over 60% of people who die in car crashes are not buckled up and, you know, all for the lack of that two and five eighths inches of fabric and what a difference it can make. And so we can think of uh, actions or events or opportunities that make us feel ill at ease for whatever reason. And some of those may be those physical challenges that uh, we've never thought about taking on. Or it may be just, you know, taking the risk to have a conversation or to listen to somebody's story that uh, maybe we haven't encountered uh, their story or experienced that ourselves. But we, we can be a listener and we can learn from that listening as well. So really invite, invite our listeners to maybe extend ourselves in some way that uh, certainly honors Mia and uh, honors other people that we love and uh, that we care about and make that a part of our daily practice. So anyway, I want to again thank Shane and Connie for joining us for this episode of the Keep Kids Alive podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, and you can certainly uh, listen to any one of the episodes of our past podcasts uh, just by going to our website at keepkidsalivedrive25.org or if you're into shorthand, kkad25.org. You can find out more about uh, our mission and how it plays itself out around the country. And if you want to get something started in your own community, you can connect with us uh, through the website. So thank you very much for listening. And as mentioned before, if you want to donate, support the Mia Taylor Foundation, uh, miataylorfoundation.org. You can donate there. And similarly, if you'd like to donate to support the mission of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, you can do that through our website as well. Again, thank you very much. and Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Please visit kkad25.org to find out how you can support Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids. It's about safety. It's about caring. It's about time. Thank you.